Yeah, I'm in. 
morning. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises together. Our praises to God. We sing our praises to God together. Not our praises. Y'all are with me. Here we go.
Champion 
Father, we praise you that you are the one who loves us and cares for us, watches over us. And we come today to offer our praise to you. Thank you for being present here with us, for speaking into our lives, for making us more and more like Jesus. May that truly be accomplished today, and we pray this through Christ. Amen. We welcome those of you here in worship today and those joining us on streaming. We're glad to have you here. Take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. This year in Junior Church, we have been talking about missionaries. A missionary is someone who tells others about God. We can be missionaries in school, in Buffalo, in Hoenn, and in the world. We have been learning Bible verses. This year, it is Mark sixteen fifteen. You guys ready to say the Bible verse? All right. Go into all the world and preach the good news. To all creation. Good job, Jared. Last week we talked about a little boy. A little boy shared his food with 5,000 people. We talked about how God can make big things out of little things, like making a tree out of a seed, a puppy into a big dog. How lots of little snowflakes can make a big snowman. And how one penny cannot do a lot, but a lot of pennies can. Okay, Jack. 
We want to turn our pennies into a lot of pennies to help other children who need food and want to go to school. We thought if everyone in our church can give a few pennies, how it will turn into a really big pile of pennies. We will be we will be in the back of the church with banks we made after each service for the month of October collecting change. Okay, guys. All right, ready? You guys say thank you for helping us. One, two, three. Thank, thank you, you for helping us. Good job. All right. I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has given to each of us. Heaven came and kissed the earth Prophets long ago foretold his birth He became the Show the human heart its worth. Oh, whether I'm in want or pain, whether I'm in health or ill, our God promises His children He will, He will. He'll bind up the broken heart. Arrest. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are the God who does what we've just sung about. That you step into our pain and you mend broken hearts. That you, you comfort us in our grief. You are strength in our weakness. And you fill us with your spirit. We thank you, Father, that in your loving grace to us, you, you call us to praise you and to, to worship you with our voices and all of our lives. And you also call us to bring to you the burdens and the concerns of our hearts because you love to, to meet our needs. And so we come today in prayer trusting that you hear us, that you are at work, and that you're doing more than we could dream or imagine. Father, we pray today for all who come today with, with grieving hearts. We feel the, the grief and the burden of, of life that, that brings loss to us and hurt and pain to us. And we ask for your comforting presence. Father, we pray for all who are struggling with illness and pain. For all who are wrestling with with issues of body, mind, and soul, and spirit. We think, especially today, of Louise Princell, Laura Habecker, Adrian Butine, Hudson Hess. Pray for Nancy Cole, Brian Orbacher, Peter Lingenfelter, and Ellis Bratzman, Chuck Barrett, Cheryl O'Brien. For Ben King and Doris Hesepian. Isla Shea and Sheldon Emerson, for Bill Getty, for Warren and Ella Woolsey, Mike Raybuck, Everett, for Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Crickler, and others who may be on our hearts today, and we pray for your healing grace for each of them. Father, we thank you for the ministries of our church. We just saw the children here from Junior Church, and we pray your blessing, your anointing upon these little ones. They are so precious to us. We want them to know that. We take seriously our responsibility to nurture our children in the faith. And we pray, Father, that as they are engaging in this effort to raise funds for children who do not have the basic necessities of life, we pray that you will engage all of us in that, that their faith, would be encouraged. We thank you for the ministry of churches around us. We pray today for the Lockport Wesleyan Church and Pastor Matt Rose. We thank you for this group of believers who are reaching out to their community. And we pray that your your anointing, your blessing would be upon them. And Father, we think about our nation and and the, the need for healing in our nation we pray that you will help us as your people to be, to be those who bring uh, or agents of healing, who care about people who are needy and hurting. Father, we pray for our world beyond us. We think about the people of Puerto Rico who are, are living with, with such difficulties in, in the recent uh, hurricanes. It's hard to fathom what they're going through, but we pray that supplies would get there, that they would get through all whatever the red tape may be, and that people would have their needs met, that they would be able to have water and food and just restore all of the damage. 
And Father, we, we think of the world even beyond our close area. We pray for places of war. We pray for refugees. We pray, Father, for, uh, for our brothers and sisters who face great persecution and opposition in many places of the world. And Father, we pray for the ministry uh, that we have toward people right around us. And as the, the grace ministry continues to grow and enlarge and, and serve people who, who have needs right around us, we ask, Father, that, that you will give us wisdom, that you will provide resources, that this will be a means of, of transformation as people see you through what we might do. Father, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your grace in answering prayers in the way you know is best. And we offer all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning's scripture is the book of Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rocks. And make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, Taman, will be terrified. And everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. 
You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy, and Jacob will possess his inheritance. Jacob will be a fire, and Joseph a flame. Esau will be stubble. And they will set him on fire and destroy him. There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and people from the foothills will possess the lands of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem, who are in Sepharad, will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. This is the word of the Lord. And children ages 2 through 5 are now dismissed for Children's Church. Please stand as we sing together. How firm a foundation you saints of the Lord He is laid for your faith in his excellent word What more can he say than to you he has said To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled Fear not, I am with you, oh be not dismayed For I am your God and will still give
In 1888, Rudyard Kipling published a short story that he titled, The Man Who Would Be King. It's a story about a couple of men in India who desire to be kings. And so they go looking for some place where they can influence the people enough that they will make them kings. And uh, they take this this journey and uh, they end up accomplishing exactly what they want. But it ends in disaster for them. And as you read through Kipling's story... There is underlying what he's saying a, a, a note that, that touches every one of us. Because the reality is somewhere deep inside of all of us, we all want to be kings. We all want to have power. We all want to have control. We all want some place, somewhere, someone that we can feel in charge of. The problem is, for Christians, the gospel calls us not to be kings, but to be servants. And there is something about this yearning to be kings and the call of the gospel that I think is at the heart of Obadiah's prophecy. Now, I, you know, most people don't have any idea when Obadiah lived. There are speculations all over the place because there are a few other people in Scripture who, whose names are Obadiah that pop up. But no one really knows. Probably late 7th century, early 6th century, on into the 6th century, probably. But no one is exactly sure. We do know that Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. Uh, it's, we actually have all the minor prophets we're going through. It's the only one we're going to read the whole thing. If we have time to read the whole thing. And it's actually so short, I'm thinking to myself, it hardly seems worth getting dressed for, much less walking all the way to Edom to, to do this. And I suspect most of us don't spend a lot of time studying Obadiah. Now, if we took a poll, I'm not going to ask you how many people even read Obadiah. How many people even knew Obadiah was a name, was, was really a thing in Scripture? I mean, it's not the place someone comes to us and, and their life is falling apart. We don't typically say, well, let me take you to the book of Obadiah and show you what God says. And, and because Obadiah is a prophecy written to the nation of Edom, there's something inside of us that even thinks, what does it even have to do with us? I get it when it's about Israel or, or Judah because they're God's people and Christians are God's people. But what does Edom have to do with any of us? No one comes to church thinking, I wonder what happened to the Edomites. And yet there is a powerful, powerful word that is, is in this short prophecy. You will notice as you read through the prophecy, he talks about Edom and he also talks about Esau. And the reason for that is because the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. Esau is is the twin brother of Jacob and Jacob is the father. Later, his name is changed to Israel. He is the father of the Israelites. These two are the grandchildren of Abraham, the children of Isaac and Rebekah. They, They, even before they're born, scripture tells us they're fighting with each other. In the womb, they're fighting with each other. And when they are born, they continue fighting with each other. They grew up in a, it seems to me, a very dysfunctional home. 
Because scripture says that, that Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. And that you know that's going to set things up for bad. And, and it plays itself out that very way. Jacob is a schemer. He steals Esau's inheritance. At the same time, Esau is, is so in the moment that he actually gives it away for a bowl of porridge. And they are continually at each other's throats. And eventually Jacob has to run and flee from his brother because he's afraid of him. And years later he comes back and he's scared to death of his, what his brother's going to do. But they do reconcile with each other. But as the time goes along and as their descendants live on, they become more and more against each other. When Israel comes out of Egypt, they ask permission to go through the land of Edom. They're just passing through and they are denied. And from when the moment that Israel becomes a nation, they, they have many moments where they're fighting with each other. They're at war with each other. They're, they're subjecting each other to, to their power. And, and now... This prophecy seems to describe the day when Israel's, uh, when Judah is is taken by the Babylonians, Israel is burned to the or, uh, Jerusalem's burned to the ground, and the Edomites stand and cheer. They celebrate, and they actually do more than they're not just passively violent; they are aggressively violent, as you see as we read through the prophecy. And this prophecy is a warning. To the Edomites, that how you treat people matters. It matters how you treat people. We saw in the book of Amos that God hates injustice and God works against injustice. And now we see what God does to the Edomites for their violence, for their violent behavior toward Israel. The violence that they do, what they actually commit, where they actually kill people, and the passive violence as they stand back, and instead of jumping in and helping, they cheer. And they assist the Babylonians against the Israelites. And God says there are consequences to injustice. Now, sometimes when people read a prophecy like this, we start wondering about God's, you know, God is so, is so judgmental against people and we see his wrath being poured out on people. And sometimes that bothers us because, you know, we don't like to see that picture of God. But the reality is, do we want a God who doesn't care about injustice? I mean, do we want to worship a God for whom the acts of violence and evil don't mean anything? If God doesn't act against evil and injustice, then it's because of one of two things. Either he doesn't care, it doesn't matter to him, or he's too weak and he can't do anything about it. God cares about how we treat each other. It matters to God how we relate to each other, the things we do to each other. We, but we, we seem to think that it doesn't. And like Edom that says they, they make their home up on the high mountains in the land where they settle. And they feel like we are safe from any enemies. There is a sense in which we feel like we are safe from any judgment from God. We can treat people however we want to and it doesn't matter. But the prophets keep telling us it does matter. It matters. It matters that we do or don't get involved in helping people who are the victims of injustice. It matters that we may be a catalyst for injustice. 
But there is something deeper going on here than just how we treat each other. It is significant that Edom is, is judged because of the way they treat Israel. The way they treat God's people. Now, on the one hand, there's a part of us that thinks, you know, Israel is special, and so God gets a, God wouldn't be upset if they weren't, if Edom was attacking anybody else but his people. He's only upset because it's his people. And to a certain degree, there there is there is a little bit of truth in that. Now, we found out in, in the book of Amos, the beginning of Amos, God is upset with all the nations around Israel, not for the way they treat Israel, but for just the way they treat people in general. But the, there is this deeper thing going on here that, that Edom is trying to, to do everything in their power to eliminate Israel. And the problem is that Israel is not, they are God's people. Not just that they are special and God gets upset when people mess with his special people. But it's because they are the means for God to do in the world what he plans to do. God chooses Israel not because they are special people. In fact, he says, you're the least of all the nations. But he chooses them so that they will be the avenue, the means for God to accomplish his purposes in the world of redeeming the world, of transforming the world, of of transforming lives and making the world a place of flourishing, which has been God's plan from the beginning. And so he puts his finger on Israel and he chooses them and says, you be my people. I'll live with you. I'll transform you. And then people will see what it looks like and they'll want to follow me. And you will tell people about me. And what Edom is doing is really, they they are cooperating with the evil one to try to thwart God's great plans of redemption. This is not just sibling rivalry. This is the evil one attempting to keep God from doing what God wants to do. And God says, that's not going to happen. And you'll notice that the prophecy begins by talking about all the nations. He says, we've heard a message from the Lord that an ambassador was sent to the nations to say, get ready, everyone. Let's assemble our armies and attack Edom. I will cut you down to size among the nations. You'll be greatly despised. This is a word not just to Edom. It's for all the nations to see. That God's people are special and important. Not because, again, not because they're just special people and God gets upset about hurting his special people. But because you cannot thwart the plans of God. And to oppose the plans of God is to, is to incur God's wrath because he will not let his plans be stopped. If God didn't address the plans of evil to destroy his designs and his purposes for redeeming the world, then all of us would die. I mean, isn't there a point where if you see a stronger person taking advantage of a weaker person? I mean, you want to step in and you want to try to do something about that. Because you care about the weaker person. And you realize that they don't have strength. They have no ability to stop the stronger person. And to stand back and say, well, I don't want to get involved because I might appear unkind. It's not very loving. 
And God is going to, God is going to not allow his great purposes for the world to be stopped. And that's what Edom's trying to do. And that's why when you get to verse 21, God, he's, the prophet says, God will be the king. I think that's probably the key verse of the whole prophecy. God will be the king. And we talk about that, and he says, in that day, these things are going to happen, and God will be the king. And he gives us the impression that maybe that God will be the king. He's not the king now, but he's going to be someday. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that God has always been the king, which is why it's so vital for us to believe that God is the creator of all things. God has always been the king, but on that day, he will assert his kingship in a way that we haven't seen before. On that day, all the world will know God is the king. On that day, everyone will see who God truly is. He is the king. I think this is a prophecy about that day when God will usher in the kingdom in all of its fullness and everything will be revealed. I think it's also a day that, that, we, that points to Jesus as well. I mean, Jesus speaks of the kingdom more than a hundred times in the Gospels. And he says, the kingdom is coming, and he says, the kingdom is here. It's among you. And we, and, and as people who live in his kingdom, we want God to usher in the kingdom. We want God to be the king. And the call of the gospel is that we give up our desire to be the king and to recognize him as king. And that's why Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 2. And he says, therefore, speaking of Jesus, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's why in John's revelation, he says, the angel sounded his trumpet, there were loud voices in heaven, and he said, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Now have come the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. Angels sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. You are holy, and all the nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And on his robe, his thigh, was written this title, King of kings and Lord of lords. You read those passages, you want to break into the Hallelujah Chorus. You know? And he shall reign forever and ever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. The kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. For he's king of kings and lord of lords. And this is the king that we worship. This is who God is. And he's the kind of king who is not just sovereign in power and might, but he's sovereign in love and compassion and grace. And we keep coming back to that God's self-declaration in Exodus 34, that I am compassionate and loving. 
and a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. Because a loving, good God addresses sin. But he is a king whose desire is flourishing and transformation for all the world. And so when we come to this table, we are coming to this table to celebrate God the king. We're coming to celebrate thinking about that day when we will sit around the table of the marriage feast of the lamb. And we will worship the king in all of his greatness and with all of our being. And this table is a glimpse. It is a glimpse into that moment, that day of eternity. But Obadiah is also, is not just a word to the nation of Edom and the nations as a whole. It's a word to the people of Israel. It's a word to us, Christians. It is a word of hope to people who live as minority exiles in a world that by and large ignores God as king. When Obadiah prophesies, Israel is scattered around the world. Many of them are in Babylon. Some of them are still in Assyria. Some of them are other places of the world where they've escaped. And this prophecy is a word to people who live as minority exiles. God is king. And he is bringing you back one day. In verse 17, he talks about how Jerusalem will be the holy city. It will be the place where they will come home. It's interesting, these prophecies keep talking about Israel coming home. And God is the great prodigal father who welcomes his children home. And as people of God who live in a culture, in a world that is not just apathetic toward God, but is often antagonistic toward God and the ways of God and the things of God, this is a word of hope for us. The day is coming. But it is also a call on our lives. Because if we believe that God is the king, if we believe that God is going to usher in his kingdom, as he says, then the call to us is to live and to act as if we believe that's true. We live, we act, as if we truly believe God is the king. That he's in control. And one of the struggles we have is that I think often we live and we act as if God isn't. When you believe God is the king, you don't have to fight for your rights. When you believe that God is the king, you can love even when it means hurt and sacrifice and risk. When you believe that God is the king, then you understand what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You understand when he says, blessed are those who are humble instead of those who are arrogant. Blessed are those who mourn the sins of the world instead of celebrating that those people are going to get what they deserve. Blessed are the peacemakers 
Instead of people who are always stirring up trouble and creating chaos. Blessed are the merciful. When everything in us wants anything but mercy for those who oppose us. When you know that God is the king, you can live, you can live in the way that, that Paul writes about Jesus. When he says, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, who had all the rights of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but let it go. He humbled himself. Taken on the very nature of a servant, he gave his life. When you know that God is the king, then you have confidence that sacrificing, giving, loving is, is going to win. And I think one of the things that Obadiah is saying to us is that don't act like Edom to people who may be against you and harm you and hurt you. Don't gloat over their troubles. Don't rejoice over their calamities. Don't stand back and do nothing when they are in distress. That's what people do who don't really believe that God is the king, who believe that all we have is right now and we have to grab it and wrench it and and grasp for it in the moment. But when you know God is king, you can let go. You can surrender. You can give yourself away and find peace and joy and the blessing of God who is the king. I've been thinking a lot lately about the Christians in Bangladesh. A couple of weeks ago in the persecuted church part of our prayer time, we prayed for the Christians in Bangladesh. And the specific situation, these Christians in Bangladesh have been persecuted a lot. They face a lot of trouble, a lot of opposition, a lot of persecution. They live a hard life in the nation of Bangladesh. And right now, there are people, refugees from Myanmar next door, who are flooding across the border into Bangladesh. And they are flooding into the area where the Christians in Bangladesh live. And as these refugees come into that area, they, of course, now are competing for the water that everybody needs and the food that everyone needs and the shelter that everyone needs and and the help from, from the government and NGOs that everyone needs. They are competing for all of that. And to make matters worse, these people flooding across the border are Muslims. And the Christians in Bangladesh are asking the church to pray that they will be the presence of Christ to these Muslim refugees who they've had, they'd have every reason to resent and to hate and to not help. But the desire of their heart is to be Christ to these needy people Not because they are their friends, but because they believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and God is the King. And that changes everything. 
And as we come to this table, not only are we celebrating God who is King and Jesus who is Lord, but we are also coming asking for God's grace to make us people who more and more every day act like we believe God is the King. And so we're going to take just a moment of silence to both give thanks to God for who He is and to ask God to change our hearts, to make us people who more and more look like our King, our Lord. Holy Father, we thank you. And we declare that you are the King and Jesus is Lord. We resonate with the words of, of John in his revelation and the words of Paul in Philippians. That we come to you with our knees bowed and our tongues declaring who you are. And we give you thanks. And Father, we also come asking you to work in us in such a way that we live more and more every day like people who believe you're the King and that Jesus is Lord. Soften our hearts. Give us compassion for all people. Fill us with your grace in such a way that we are loving and gentle and patient and kind and faithful and merciful, just like Jesus. So, Father, we come to this table in thanksgiving. And we come to this table in humility. We pray your blessing upon the bread and the cup that as we eat and drink, we may do so to your glory as we are nourished by your holy food. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This morning, as you're released by Rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. Altar rail is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, or if you simply prefer, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve in your seat. 
And I have gluten-free wafers here and cups. Just, just let me know that you would like those as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. Perhaps this is the first time that you've ever worshipped here, but if you come today with your heart open to Christ, and you declare that He is King, and your desire is to live as if He is the King, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.